as ISIS claimed responsibility for murdering 253 Christians and wounding more than 500 more all on Resurrection Sunday. It seems that many Christians, when it comes to this idea of Christian persecution, have got their heads buried in the sand. Do you know that more Christians have been murdered in recent past than in all the history of the church of Jesus Christ? One New York Times editorial went further to proclaim that Christianity is the most persecuted faith in world history. In the last three years, in Africa alone, over 250 Christians have been murdered. Why? Because they were Christians. Where is the outrage? Why is this not a big deal? The headline of one news article that followed the Sri Lanka murders read, Global Christian persecution remains, get this, obscured in America. We Christians in America are so insulated from what's going on to Christians in other countries. We Christians here in America are so far removed from what our Christian brothers and sisters are enduring we just don't get it. For some reason, we refuse to acknowledge that Christian persecution is on the rise and comes primarily from the nation of Islam, followed closely by liberal, liberal Americans. The Islam holy book, the Quran, commands its followers to strike terror and to kill people of the book. That means the Jews of the Old Testament and Christians of the New Testament. In many nations, Christian churches must meet secretly underground. They must meet at different times of the week. They must meet in small numbers so as not to attract attention. And they must keep their voices down lest they be overheard and beheaded. 
So that sounds like a great way to begin an encouraging message, doesn't it? What are we supposed to do? That sounds so discouraging. What are we supposed to do? If you're like me, man, I get a little bit mad about it. And I wonder, why are you getting so mad, Bill? And I think it's because down deep, I'm a little bit fearful. And if we're not careful, our fear can build and become discouragement. And if we're not careful further, it can progress and become despair. Christians in the early church faced a lot of similar problems, only far worse, if you can imagine that. Charged with trying to overthrow the Roman Emperor Caesar by promoting King Jesus, they were stripped of their freedoms, their belongings were taken, they were persecuted, jailed, beaten, hung, crucified, executed, and sometimes used as lion bait in the gladiator games. And all this was happening because they refused to deny Jesus was their Lord. Do you think that they might have been a little discouraged? <laughs> yeah, I'll bet they were. But you know, today, many people get discouraged about the teachings referring to end-time events. And the Bible says that because of their discouragement, many will despair and ultimately will turn away from Jesus. And that's why, friend, it is so important that you and I get a good grip, that we have a sound understanding of what the Bible teaches about end-time events, that we have a firm grasp on what God's Word teaches about our faith. In our verses today, Paul is writing to this church at Thessalonica again, and this church at Thessalonica is continuing to have these questions about the end-time events. And so Paul writes them a second letter to set them straight. Today's question is this. How do we avoid discouragement when the future looks so scary? In today's chapter, we're going to find three important things that Christians must guard against. The first being, don't be dismayed. Don't be dismayed, but look to God's Word. Now, if you'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's going to be on page 1051 in the Bibles in front of you. I'd really like for you to see this. I'm going to share just the first two verses to begin. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, the Scripture says, Now, brothers, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. 
back in 1938, a man from Long Island purchased a very elegant, expensive barometer. If you don't know what a barometer is, a barometer is a device that measures atmospheric pressure and kind of determines the weather. So he brought this really nice mahogany encased barometer and he was going to set it on his fireplace mantle. Well, after he got it, he opened up the box and the needle indicated that a hurricane was coming. So he looked at the, looked at the thing and he, he looked on the back for a knob to try to adjust it and uh, he couldn't find one. And then he got so mad that he began to shake it, trying to get it to reset to normal. And he said, I cannot believe it. I've spent this much money on this thing, and the darn thing is defective. Next day, he had to go out of town. And when he came back into town a few days later, his barometer was missing. And so was his house. A hurricane had come and wiped out everything he had. Friend, you can stop, you cannot stop the return of Christ from coming any more than you can stop a hurricane from coming. It's an event in biblical prophecy. It's an event that's coming, and we have no ability to stop it whatsoever. And the Word of God gives us fair, advanced warning, and it doesn't need adjusting, it just needs believing. Amen? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, here's what the word said. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those that have passed away in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep in him. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Apparently, some of the members of this church at Thessalonica had gotten scared. They were scared out of their wits because rumor had it that the rapture of God's people, the catching up of God's people had already come and gone and they missed it. And they were upset about that. But Paul says, remain calm, y'all. He was from Anderson, amen. Remain calm, y'all. It ain't true. You see, it's Satan's job. Satan's job to call. It's Satan's job to create confusion and to cast doubt in the Christian life. And it's a job, I'm sorry to say, that he does pretty well. But I want you to remember that Satan tried to pull that garbage with Jesus in the wilderness. Do you remember? Jesus handled all three of Satan's feeble attempts in the very same way. Jesus looked to God's word and he used it mightily against the enemy because you see, God's word puts the enemy in his rightful place. Do you know where that's at? Defeated. He's defeated. And we need to realize that and use the word of God against our enemy. 
Don't let the enemy confuse you. Don't let the enemy cause you fear. Don't let the enemy cast doubt on what you know about the Lord's return. Remind yourself of what God's word says. So don't be dismayed. For God's word tells us that if you belong to him, if you belong to him, Christ goes to prepare a place for you. And if he goes to prepare a place for you, he will come and receive you. That where he is, you may be also. So when your future looks a little scary, don't be dismayed. Just look to the word of God. But there's a second thing we need to be aware of. Second thing we need to guard against, and that is being deceived. Don't be deceived, but trust God's plan. Back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look in verse 3. Paul writes to that church saying, let no one deceive you. We're easily deceived, amen? Say amen. amen. We are. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. I'll address that in a minute. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you that I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying and wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion and they should be, that they should believe in the lie and that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but who had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, deception has been a core of warfare for centuries. It's been a core of warfare ever since the Spartans built this giant wooden horse and they put all their soldiers inside that wooden horse and they presented that horse to the city of Troy as a gift. After this Trojan horse was accepted and brought into the gates of the city, Troy was destroyed, get this, from the inside out. And as a result, the enemy won the battle. Why? Why did the enemy win? It was because the enemy had been permitted, say permitted. The enemy had been permitted to infiltrate the city. How many times does the enemy have victory in our lives? Why? Because we were deceived by a lie. And we allowed him to come into our Christian lives. Friends, deception is always vital to the success of Satan in our lives. 
So don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, friend. First of all, I want you to know that the rapture, the catching up of the Lord's people, and the coming of the Lord, the return of God, the return of Jesus, are two separate events. Y'all getting that? Two separate events. The rapture and the return are two separate events. Now, I asked this question. Once I established that in my own mind, I said, well, since that's the case, why didn't Paul just tell these Thessalonians, these Thessalonians, why didn't he just tell these folks, look, if the day of the Lord had come, you wouldn't be here because you would have been raptured up. You'd have been caught up in what the Lord calls the rapture. That would have made sense to me. That would have nipped all the anxiety in the bud. They wouldn't have been so fearful. They wouldn't have been so scared out of their wits. So why didn't Paul say that? As I thought about it, I think I concluded that Paul wasn't sure if they were all true believers or not. Paul wasn't sure if all the so-called believers in the church at Thessalonica were really true believers or not. And so he wouldn't just risk saying flippantly, hey man, you'd already been raised up if the Lord had come, if the Lord's return was at hand. See, many people believe that they're Christians, but they're really not. Oh, they've come a long way. They've gone along with all the outward trimmings and trappings, the, all, the outward appearances of being a Christian. They talk a smooth game. They come to church. They bow their heads. and They might even carry a Bible. But they have never surrendered their inner will to the Lord God Almighty. Friends, can I tell you, they ain't real. And if Christ were to call today for his people, they would not be going. Jesus may be their savior. Everybody knows that. But by the way they're living their lives, he is clearly, clearly not their Lord. So if Paul were to say to the unreal Christians there at Thessalonica that they would have certainly been raptured if the Lord's return was at hand, man, them people would have never changed. They would have never changed. They would never surrender completely to God. They'd just say, oh, I'm fine. Brother Bill, I'm good. I'm good. I don't have to be a real Christian. But Paul would never do that to this church family that he loved so much. But listen to what he does say. He does say this. He does say that two things must take place before the Lord's return. One, well, let me say the verse first. For that day, that is the Lord's return, not the rapture, the Lord's return will not come Unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. First of all, what is this falling away? 
What is this? God's word tells us that before Christ returns, there's going to be this wholesale abandonment. This whole worldly abandonment of the world's population away from the truth of Jesus Christ. And where's it going to? It's going to the lie of this man of sin. This son of perdition. Literally speaking, this son of hell. So who is this son of hell? Who must be revealed first before the Christ returns? Friends, he is the great deceiver. Perhaps a word that you know a little bit better. He is the Antichrist. And verse 4 tells us a little bit about him. He who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Friends, don't be deceived. While the scriptures tell us that true believers will have already been caught up, this Antichrist, he will through all manner of miracles, signs, and wonders deceive billions of lost people. He will deceive billions of counterfeit Christians. And they will perish. Why? Because they have rejected the truth that saves. They have rejected the truth that saves and they have believed the lie of Satan. They think that they can believe in their minds but not be changed in their heart. They think that they can accept Jesus as Savior, but refuse Him as Lord. Friends, when the future looks scary, it can be real easy to get down. It can be real easy to get down and stay down. But I want to encourage you today, don't be dismayed. Look to God's word. And friend, don't be deceived. God has a plan. Trust God's plan. And finally, perhaps the single most important thing that we Christians must guard against is we better not be distracted. Don't be distracted but seek God's purpose. Look at verse 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions 
which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. And now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and good work. You see, God's purpose, God's greatest desire is that you and I as believers in Christ Jesus submit to the Spirit of God. It is His desire and His plan, His purpose, that we allow Him to set us apart from the rest of the world. To make us completely holy people. And it's also His desire and purpose that we use this word to do it. Now, I don't know how many people have told me, Bill, I've read some of that book and I don't understand it. I've read that, some of that book and sorry man, I don't get it. Well, the problem is is it's a spiritual problem. It's not an understanding problem because the spirit reveals his word. The problem is spiritual. I read this. The spirit without the word, is mute. Doesn't have nothing to say. But the word without the spirit is lifeless because it has no power to act. You see, the power of God's spirit is always unified with the work of his word. You can't do what God's called you to do. You can't be what God's called you to be unless the Spirit of God enables you to do that. And the good word is, He wants you to be enabled to live a holy life. He will never tell you to do something He has not empowered you to do. So now, as a great friend of mine once told me, do you have the want to? Do you have the want to? Friends, I know that many of you are saved. I know that many of you are real. However, there are many Christians that believe what the Word says, but they have yet to submit to the Spirit of God to make it have life. And therefore, their Christian life lacks power. Friends, if you believe that this is God's word, listen carefully. It's time for you to respond. It's time to stop dragging your feet if you believe this is the word of God and do something about it. We have a responsibility to take action on what God tells us to do. And if we don't take action on what God tells us to do, that means you don't believe that this is the word of God. He tells us, don't be distracted by the living in this world. Instead, while you're here, 
Seek to fulfill God's purpose for your life. While you're here, prepare your future. Your future with Jesus Christ by living holy today. While you're here, share the glory of the Son of God. Share His glory by holding fast in everything you've been taught. So what are we to do when we face persecution? And listen carefully. It's coming. It's coming. What are we to do when we face persecution? Get mad like me? <laughs> Get fearful? Get scared? Deny Christ? I'm going to share with you three quick biblical responses that you can have to persecution that, listen up, is coming. Number one, be patient. The half-brother of the Lord Jesus, James, said in James chapter 5, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Friend, I believe it's more at hand than it ever has been. He says be patient. But something else we can do to respond to persecution is to be encouraged. If you read on in John chapter, or James chapter 5, he writes, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. Have you not heard of the perseverance of Job? Everybody knows that story. And seen the end intended by the Lord? See, the end was better than the beginning for Job. The end, he got twice as much, twice as many blessings as at the beginning. Have you seen the end intended by the Lord? And that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful? Be encouraged, friend. Listen, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And I have to tell you, the best that's yet to come is not here on earth. But finally, he also says that we ought to respond to persecution by being godly. Listen to what the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Peter wrote, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness as we look forward to the hastening and coming of the day of God. Friends, be patient. God's got this. Be encouraged. The best is yet to come. But while you're waiting, be godly.
Listen, make a difference. As I've mentioned, friend, many people have claimed to come to faith and be saved by acknowledging that Jesus is a Savior who died on the cross. And that's all well and good. But you cannot come to Jesus as Savior on the cross and not make him the Lord of your life. They go hand in hand. You can't take one without the other. You can't take the A but no B. It's got to be both. Is Jesus your Savior? Is Jesus your Lord? I don't know that answer for you. But you do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice and thank you for the, the promise of your word. That, Lord, there's no need for us to be dismayed, no need for us to be deceived. Father, I praise you and thank you that your word is true and that we can take your promises to the bank. Now, Lord, I pray that you would speak to the one or ones that have long ago come to Jesus as their Savior but have never made him the Lord of their life. Help them to understand the truth as you have revealed the truth to me that we might be saved and gloriously resurrected when the time has come. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing. Amen.